Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Do Your Fan of Podcast. My name is Saint. And I'm Jim. And we want to welcome you back to the podcast. Jim, you were gone last week. Uh, how are you feeling? How you been? Uh, pretty good. Yeah, I took a little road trip, had a couple things and a couple people to take care of, but um, it was a nice little break from work and from reality. Uh, but I want to give a big thanks to Thomas for filling in and uh, turning in such a fantastic performance on last week's episode. Uh, but I'm glad to be back and super happy to be digging into all the stuff we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. And uh, if you catch a little giggle behind uh, behind us as we do this, it's because we already recorded part of this. And uh, my voice recorder wasn't working, so uh, it's take two for some of this. <laughs> Warts you know, and all. Sometimes I, technical I give it difficulties you. do jump in and just rub it in your face a little bit. But, you know, you roll with the punches and you keep going. I give it to you, warts and all, people. That's what we're here for. We do so this for you. We do it all for you. And I'm, I'm glad to have you back, Jim. And, yeah, I, I, if I sound a little tired today, it's because I went and got that Moderna shot yesterday, the second dose, and... Uh, I feel like I went two rounds with Mike Tyson, so. Well, it's not just that second Moderna dose. You were working at 3 o'clock this morning and haven't taken the nap. So you're kind of a, uh, you're, you're on, my, on my very short list of, of, of heroes right now because you're, <laughs> you're kind of running on fumes. But, uh, you know, second dose of Moderna and no sleep or not, you're upbeat and chipper as shit. And you're here doing a podcast. So I love you for that. I'm faking it. So... <laughs> But again, like I said, it's all for you guys. I wouldn't miss doing this podcast. I love doing it, and uh, uh, it's what gets gets me through the weekend, honestly. So, um, but yeah, like I said, I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, you can find us on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom, or you can send us emails if you have anything you want to discuss with us or talk about things you heard on the show. Weigh in any at any point. You can hit us up at uh, fuel your fandom at gmail.com. And if you have any show ideas, would like to be a guest on the show, or know somebody who'd like to be a guest on the show, the address you want to use is fyftalentbooking at gmail.com, and that will pop directly into our inbox as well, and we'll get it, we'll read it, and we will get back to you post-haste. And we quite literally are, exactly like they say in all those advertisements, literally anywhere you want to find a podcast, we're probably there. I mean, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, you know, all the different podcast Pandora, apps. If you have a podcast Google, app, Apple, you can search for yeah. Fuel Your Fandom and you will dig us up. Oh, yeah. We are everywhere. We proliferate. Whether you want us to or not, we're like mushrooms. We keep popping up. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's been a hell of a, a, a good couple of weeks uh, as recording for being a, a geek in this community and, and being yeah, a, it's a good time to be a nerd ladies a and gentlemen. consumer of geek type media now we were talking before we started recording the first time about uh, uh playstation holy shit big playstation news they've been talking about they were going to do a a massive supply restock at the end tail end of april and now here it is as of recording may 2nd and nothing. still no ps5s i mean you and i lucked out and we got them so please don't hate us if you haven't managed to find yours yet uh because we both sort of lucked into them through happenstance but yeah april was supposed to be the uh the, the time that all of the uh both xbox and playstation said that they would be anybody who wants one should be able to find one on the shelves by mid-spring at the latest but uh the last couple articles i read in geek media are saying maybe christmas which is in fucking excusable mm-hmm. because 
it, that will have been a year ostensibly since release uh, that we haven't been able to just wander in off the street and buy a, a current generation game console off the shelf. So I'm very lucky that I have mine. I was just playing them both yesterday, but uh, I feel uh, genuine pain for the folks that are still out there hitting those uh, supply runs trying to trying to pick up their console. It's going to be like the Fast and the Furious one of these days. People are just going to start driving up to supply trucks and ripping them off. Yeah, no doubt about it. <laughs> and another thing that happened that we kind of touched on uh, last week or the week before, and actually a couple of weeks prior to that, during the uh, our all video game in, in movies dog shit, mm. uh, the Mortal Kombat film actually dropped on HBO Max on it I sure believe the twenty third or twenty fourth. So last week, and you and I both saw it. And uh, if I'm being honest, I actually kind of liked the original 90s Mortal Kombat just a little more than this one for a various smattering of valid and perhaps maybe not so valid personal reasons. Right, and and I get that. And, and we kind of are similar, but not necessarily on the exact same page. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I, I enjoyed it. It's a popcorn flick. It wasn't anything like deep-rooted and meaningful or anything like that. The special effects were amazing. Uh, the acting yep. was, you know, what it was. Uh, Josh Hall And none of that was anything I had any problem with. I mean, I think the characterizations in this movie, um, for the characters that they had in it, were pretty spot on. If you're really a fan of the video game, you're going to recognize your favorite characters. If they elected to put them in, because one of the things that I kind of had a problem with about it was it kind of felt like they put all 972 Mortal Kombat characters into Kung Lao's hat and then drew like a dozen at random and decided to make the movie about those. So if you have a favorite character, they may or may not actually show up in this film, which I thought was a little strange. It was a smaller cast of characters than I was expecting, especially given the rogues gallery and crazy roster that Mortal Kombat has. But... um, you know, overall, I think the characters they did have in it, they were very good interpretations of those characters, especially, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Kano. Josh Lawson playing Kano. Yeah, he was fantastic. His back must hurt from carrying the weight of that movie all on him. Kano wins. You fucking beauty. But Yeah. But the, <laughs> I think I said this to you in a, in, a, in a Facebook message after I watched it. The, the main issue that I had with the film was it was kind of pizza cuttery in that it was all edge and no point. I mean, there was more <laughs> F-bombs per capita than I think most movies uh, just for the sake of the R rating. And some of the violence was incredibly gory, which is definitely in keeping with the video game. Um, and, and also in stark contrast with the, the 90s version of Mortal Kombat, where famously the only drop of blood that happened in the entire film was after Liu Kang elbowed Shang Tsung in the face at the sort of like end of the movie and there was one single drop of blood on his lip. This movie did not spare the gore. So in keeping with uh, with how, the, the, how gory and bloody the, the video game was, uh, in that regard, it was definitely closer to the source material. You're talking about... Woo, they fucking went for it on that one. <laughs> Balls deep, I think, is the term they use. Uh-huh. Or what is it the kids say these days? 100% full send. Yeah, <laughs> that they do. But So, uh, yeah, those were a couple of cool things that happened. But uh, the other cool thing that happened uh, was, the, the as of the time of, of recording right now, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier dropped their final episode just about a week and a couple of days ago. So that is going to formulate the meat of this episode, because we're super excited to talk about it, being as... Um, you know, Marvel is no longer screwing around with the television arm of their empire. Oh, absolutely not. They, they kind of started off trying to inter- interweave the television series with the, the MCU uh, with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, they kind of uh, dipped the toes in a little bit trying to mention all the Netflix shows. But 
They never had a true tie-in with the Netflix shows. And the tie-in no. with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of ended after uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier. Because yeah, which is, I think, at the end of the first or second season when the, right. the helicarrier did a jackknife into the Triskelion and then suddenly S.H.I.E.L.D. didn't exist anymore and the entire promise of the premise of the show kind of had to alter on the fly to not be agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. but were sort of like an underground vigilante mercenary squad trying to do shit on the sly and it just... The fucking MCUA team. Yeah, exactly. There was a real there was a real story integration disconnect between the small screen and the big screen, uh, because Marvel had kind of licensed out some of their characters and some of their properties to other production houses to make these pieces of entertainment, and they may not necessarily have been privy to what Kevin Feige had in mind for the larger MCU. Because I mean, as we said earlier, um, I, I don't I would not want to be Kevin Feige. I wouldn't mind his paycheck, but I wouldn't want to be him because he really maintains the entire story arc of the MCU and its many interweaving branches all in his head. And as we saw, especially with WandaVision and with Falcon and Winter Soldier, um, they've been laying groundwork for the stuff that's happening in these series and ultimately in the larger MCU for years and years. You can see direct through lines of character development uh, of some of these characters that were begun seven, eight years ago in the films and they're just now coming to fruition. Mm -hmm. And they're making big moves on the small screen in a way that they haven't until they took their stuff to their own platform streaming of, of, of Disney+. Plus. Right, and one of the really cool things, and they started kind of doing it with uh, WandaVision, and they absolutely did yeah. it with uh, with Falcon and Winter Soldiers. With WandaVision, uh, it wasn't quite as hot uh, a beginning. We had a lot of people who kind of bowed out of, of WandaVision after the first or second episode because it was a very slow build. Um, it was. It was necessary to watch, and, and upon reflection, after having been through the entire thing, it was absolutely necessary. But what they it all did, makes sense at the end of it. Right. They were able to, what, what I've likened it to, like a rubber band. If you look at a rubber band when it's not stretched... You only see a small portion, and, and that's kind of what people were getting in that first couple episodes. But as the episodes moved on, that rubber band stretched out, and you got more topography and more surface ground, and, and you're able to see where all the ties hit and where everything fits together, and uh, the Bobby Fischer-esque level of chess being played uh, mm -hmm. wraps itself into this great big... Uh, acceptance of denial kind of picture which was absolutely stunning uh horrifically heartbreaking at times and just but really really well portrayed extremely poignant and and fantastically acted but it really just demonstrated just how much the people the masterminds behind the mcu and feige in particular from what i understand have been like you said bobby fishering it and just thinking like five six ten a dozen 17 28 moves ahead right. at all times so that they know where the characters are going and they, they sort of lay the groundwork and, and build the, the foundation for where these cats are going to wind up in a year, two, three, even five, six years down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the other things is, like, now we said that with, uh, with WandaVision, it was kind of a slow burn. It was absolutely the opposite with Falcon and Winter Soldier. Falcon and Winter Soldier yeah, no punches pulled at all. felt like a very long MCU movie, and not in a way that drags and not in a way that's detrimental. But in a right. way that just kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat wanting more, 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 more. And so if you get to have the opportunity to sit down and stream it now, back to back to back to back, I almost envy you that in a way. Because yeah. uh, having to wait that week was a motherfucker. And, and, and it was. It's just, it's that well done. Like the entire, right, we're going to spoil a few things here a little bit now, keep in mind. But uh, that entire opening sequence in episode one with the aerial dogfight between helicopters and 
that was something straight out of a, a high budget action movie. It um, really was. It didn't feel like television. The effects were so good and the acting was so good that it was just stunning. Absolutely. I mean, Marvel stunning. not only has the money and the ability and the desire to tell these big stories on the small screen, but because they brought all their stuff back in house and they're being able to, to have a direct pipeline to MCU fan eyeballs with, with Disney Plus as a streaming platform, they are, like we said, like like you just said, man, they're no longer um, sort of like half-assing the TV stuff and, and making it almost like an afterthought and an apology where it can reference the movies, but nothing they do on the small screen has any implications with what's going to happen in the larger MCU. Coming out swinging with both WandaVision and Falcon Winter Soldier is a one-two punch of, hey, you got to check this out because these series are just as much essential viewing as the movies have ever been. Mm-hmm. They're just, they kind of came back and, and, and sort of reclaimed their TV empire in a way, saying, look, we know the stuff before was sort of like, you know, optional viewing. Uh, this isn't that anymore. You really have to check this out because this is going to have major implications for what happens in the big big picture now right and in the beginning of me recording this not this particular episode of the podcast but me doing the podcast in general i had a couple episodes where i was talking about how marvel has it over dc clearly in the movie department but dc yeah seemed to have a better lock and a grasp on what fans wanted on small screen and i have to amend myself at this point now it's not to say that i don't enjoy what dc puts out uh, they definitely put out some decent content on the small screen. But really, this is something so completely different and so completely engrossing. And, and, yeah. and it encapsulates everything you want in a Marvel movie and gives you more of it. Because I got real frustrated with, with small screen MCU stuff up until now. Because uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., pretty much they jumped the shark when the when the, the helicarrier crashed into the Piscali and they couldn't be S.H.I.E.L.D. agents anymore. Right. And by the time they went into outer space, I kind of tapped out. Because that's always the hallmark of like, well, we're out of ideas, we're going to go to outer space. So I didn't watch the last couple of seasons, uh, even though I love Clark Gregg, I love the character of Phil Coulson, I thought he was great. And also, even though there were moments of brilliance in the Netflix uh, Marvel series, um, I particularly liked Luke Cage and uh, Daredevil, and there's some great stuff going on in, in, in the Punisher series, but the, the showrunners of the Marvel series kind of thought we wanted, like, corporate drama and, like, behind-the-scenes, like, Rand Corporation machinations, and, like, we <laughs> wanted to see Punisher hanging out with the IT guy in a basement. Uh, no, we don't want that. There was a whole lot of just dross and filler that was in some of those Netflix series Uh, that I just didn't enjoy because they didn't understand what... You know, Netflix excels at making series like Stranger Things or like, you know, uh, Dead to Me, like slow burn series where character arcs take a long time to reveal themselves, but they don't really understand superhero cinema. And that also has come to pass really in like shows like The Umbrella Academy, which is a show about superpower people who never fucking use their superpowers, even when it would be totally appropriate to do so. That show makes me crazy. I've sat through two seasons of that going, you know, this particular plot point that you're all wringing your hands and trying to find a way out of could be alleviated very quickly if that character over there would just use their fucking powers. It's infuriating to watch it. So Netflix, as much as they're great at certain things, and they really are, they're great at like drama, they're great at slow burn stuff, they're great at documentaries, they don't understand superhero drama. Uh, But Marvel does. And now that they've brought their characters and their series and their properties back into the fold and they're doing stuff on Disney, you get stuff like WandaVision, which was absolute brilliance, and you get stuff like Falcon and Winter Soldier, which, like you just said, is basically a a six-hour MCU movie that's just portioned out in hour-long chunks. And one of the really neat things is we keep talking about Marvel and their uh, ability and willingness to do uh, cross-representation with all different cultures and all different 
yes. uh, genders and, and, and sexual identity. And we're going to see that a like lot that. in the phase that's coming up. Not oh only they're setting that up God. on the TV series, but the, 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 the rumors, the, the, the machinations they're doing behind the scenes to put in certain kinds of characters. Like there's there's been Miles Morales rumors, there's been Kamala Khan rumors for a long time. The MCU is about to get a whole fuckload more diverse. And if there's any like fanboys who don't like you know cross-cultural representation when all the superheroes from male and white... They're going to be pretty disappointed with the shit that's coming up, but I'm personally really I'm looking forward to all of it. 100% here for this. I am on fucking board. And, and have you seen the fucking trailer for Shang-Chi? Oh my god. <laughs> yes, I have. It's pretty. It's so pretty. It is pretty. And it, it's, I, I don't remember, and forgive me for my cultural ignorance on this one, but there's a certain type of martial arts cinema that I can't remember because it's, it's I believe, a Chinese word. I want to say wuxi. That may be wrong, so please don't ding me on that or set me straight if you know what it's called. But it's sort of that like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, very elegant, sort of like aerial wire work kind of stuff. That style is very much like Hong Kong action cinema, and it's very representational of that culture. And it really looks like Marvel is leaning into that super hard with this, and I couldn't be happier about it. Send all hate mail to Jim at FuelYourFandom.com. God knows I've earned it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited. And, and, and Marvel TV is giving us an opportunity to not only stretch our wings with with representation. We're getting Kamala Khan, like you said. we got Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, Kate Bishop, the, the new Hawkeye. Ironheart. That's the other one I was thinking. Yes. Riri Williams. Riri, yeah. And her story is so friggin' awesome. And I'm, I'm so I've seen the actress who's playing her. She looks fantastic. I saw a leaked photo on Twitter yesterday of the costume, Kamala Khan's costume as Ms. Marvel. Absolutely mm-hmm. spot on to the comics. It's yep. fantastic. But like even Shang-Chi, this kind of ties into what we were just talking about, of like the masterminds of Marvel, Kevin Feige planning ahead. We had the Ten Rings as far back as Iron Man 2 or 3, whichever one the Mandarin was in with... Uh, um, Two. It didn't turn out to be um, Ben Kingsley, right. but that was the you know the kind of the fake out they set up. But Three. the Ten Rings was was Iron know. Man Three. Yeah, that's what it was. But the Ten Rings was was kind of behind him out of tapestry even then. And what was that like uh, seven eight years ago? Yeah. And now we're finally getting Shang Chi and the Ten Rings, and it's it's you know just it goes to show you just how careful they are about their storytelling. Right, and and I'm excited to see what that does. But uh, right now today, what we're here to talk about is Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Because mm. Falcon and the Winter Soldier is such a heavy-duty piece. I mean, yes, it's an action epic start to finish. It's a buddy cop movie gone wrong start to finish. It's it's You laugh, you cry, you've, you've got the feels from it. It's everything you want it to be, but it's so much more than that. It's important in ways that pretty much nothing that Marvel has put out yet has been. And uh, we're going to talk a bit more about that here coming up. We're going to break it down uh, character by character as we go over this super long episode of the podcast. Now, I'm going to say it like this. I know that every episode we do is kind of super long because me and Jim are long-winded as fuck and we just can't get tired of the sound of our own voices. However, dot, 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 this time (laughs) it's on purpose. It's intentional. We're going to, we have a lot to break down and I want to make sure we hit all the salient points, so... Um, we're going to come back from this break. We're going to talk about the man himself, Sam Wilson, the Falcon. Stick around.
Hi everybody, welcome back. Alright, so as promised, we're going to start breaking down the characters from Disney Plus and Marvel's Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And what better place to start than with the man himself, Sam Wilson. There's now, a reason why this series is called Falcon and Winter Soldier, because Sam has earned and deserves that top billing on this one. Every single second of it. In the MCU, Sam has been around for quite some time. He was brought around in... Uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe film Captain America and the Winter Soldier, which was in 2014. So he's, One of the best films in the canon. Right. He's spent like seven years already in the MCU, so he knows what he's doing. Um, that movie, of course, also gave us the return of uh, Bucky Barnes as the Winter Soldier. and mm -hmm. uh, So that movie was important in a lot of ways, but this series kind of takes him and runs with him because before... Uh, He's been around a very long time in the Marvel comics. He first appeared in Captain America 117 uh, as far back as September of 1969. So he's earned his stripes as far as being in the comic books as well. Now, the version of him that we got in the comic books has gone through quite a lot of different permutations and rewrites and retcons. Uh, but he was notable for being the first African-American hero in the MCU that kind of got his own billing and, and, and was was kind of up there with the rest of the uh, the heroes that they created up to that point. Right, and that's not to say that a lot of the uh, past uh, incarnations of Sam Wilson haven't had problematic issues. Uh, there have certainly been areas that we've advanced uh, culturally. Well, yeah, I mean, Marvel was was pretty on top of representation. I mean, Stan Lee has has said, and I, you know, it wasn't even like a retcon sort of thing where he pretended to be woke after the fact. I've seen old interviews with him from the '60s and '70s where he markedly said, "We're trying to introduce a diverse range of characters, whether they're characters of color, whether they're teenagers with genuine real life problems, like Peter Parker is." That that's something that he intentionally did years and years ago. And even though you know we kind of, like you said, do have to kind of look at those representations of those characters back in the day as being a little bit problematic by today standards like especially some of those old luke cage power man books where Sweet it was kind of like that scene that scene in airplane where you know barbara billings was like oh yeah i speak jive oh stewardess i speak jive oh good so it was a little insulting and a little bit sort of problematic by today's standards, but at least they were trying, and you kind of have to give them credit for the attempt of just kind of bringing some of that culture onto the comic books page during, essentially, the Civil Rights era. They get all right. due credit for that, even if even if by looking at it now, it's a little bit cringy. Yeah, and, and a lot of the references are dated. They actually had him being uh, uh, retconned into being kind of a pimp character. Oof. Yeah, and his name was Snap Wilson. Like, they brainwashed him. I want to say they brainwashed him with a cosmic cube to make him like that. And I don't remember how long he was like that. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, listeners. But that seems to be what I recall from my reading. I've done a lot of reading these last couple uh, weeks in preparation for this. But one of the great things that the MCU has allowed us to do is kind of reimagine and retcon these characters in a way that modernizes them and kind of brings them into... Uh, the sensibilities of the era that we know now, which, yeah, I mean, we're still going to have problematic shit going on now. I mean, that's always going to change as as we learn, as we grow, as we advance. There's going to be that things... becomes yeah. a very central theme of Sam's character development in this series is that he is a black man and he is a hero and he sort of like quasi inherits a mantle he's not sure he's ready for especially on like a larger cultural scale and that is definitely something that factors into this and we'll get into that in a little bit in a little more in depth but um 
Yeah, it's 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 a difficult thing for him to have to reconcile that there's a, a world that he's a world in a country that he's fighting for the the standards of which and the the mores of which he's trying to uphold, but the, they they more than happily throw that back in his face at the earliest opportunity in certain segments and and uh, demographics of the country that he's trying to work for. Right, and 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 again, like you said, he has this real uh, sense of. His sense of self-worth won't allow him to accept the gift of the shield. Trying on. How does it feel? Like it's someone else's. It isn't. And, and Sam is not able to accept Steve Rogers' version of events. He's not able to see in himself what Steve sees in him. And maybe yeah, that Steve essentially gives him that shield. Yeah, and, and tells him that you know he believes in him. He gives him his support, but Sam doesn't have that kind of belief in himself, or belief in the system, or belief in uh, the mantle, as it were. This is a can... symbol, and I need you to carry this forward. And Steve believed in him, but Sam had a lot of self doubt, um, not just because of his own self-perceived shortcomings we're all our own worst critics i mean god knows you and i are we don't even have any superpowers but um sam has has a whole lot of social baggage that kind of goes along with that that we and other people who look like us couldn't even really understand right so that definitely factors into it so and in that first episode it essentially opens up with sam donating the shield to the smithsonian saying again like this belongs to somebody else it doesn't belong to me steve may have entrusted me with it but i don't deserve it i'm not worthy of it i'm not ready for it so i'm i'm going to give this to the smithsonian because it essentially belongs to the country it's a symbol and even though you can't kill an idea even though a person might retire or pass away you can't kill an idea this doesn't belong to me and i'm going to give it to you because it belongs to all of us and i'm really not worthy of it at this point right which is more uh, akin to him just having bad self-worth at that point. But, I mean, I get it. And and in, during the series, we're kind of met with... Uh, spoiler alert. Okay, here here we go. Let's just get right into the meat and potatoes Let's of get it. Let's get it. Screw it. Might as well just rip the Band-Aid off. The very end of the episode, we get to see a press conference, and the shield is handed down to a new Captain America designated by the government, played by Wyatt Russell, uh, who plays... Uh, John Walker. Good morning, America. And John Walker mm-hmm. is a character from the comic books. He's got a very storied past. We'll talk about that uh, when we talk about him specifically. But the reaction that we get out of Bucky and the reaction especially that we get out of Sam watching that news conference, you see his face fall. You see the betrayal, the... Oh my God! What have I done? You know, you know the the guilt. I may not deserve this, but if I'm being honest, I deserve it a hell of a lot more than this fucking poser does. Whoever this this jerk is, they yanked out of some barracks someplace and designated as the new Captain America. Right. And of course, that pisses Bucky off something fierce because Sam and Steve had a very very close relationship because Sam kind of became Bucky version 2.0 yeah. when Bucky was either in deep freeze or when he was under deep cover uh, because Steve's a very social guy and he needed a friend to bounce things off of when he wasn't bouncing the shield off of bad guys. So Sam kind of. <laughs> filled that role for when Bucky wasn't around so Sam and Steve have a whole lot of history uh, so Steve and Bucky 
uh, came up together in World War II, so they have even more history than Sam and Steve do. Right. So when Sam donates that shield, Bucky gets a little pissed off because, again, it's kind of the same way that Sam feels when this John Walker clown picks up the shield. Hey, look, maybe you don't feel like you deserve it, and I certainly don't, but this motherfucker definitely doesn't, and you essentially handed it to him when you turned around and donated this shit to the Smithsonian. So it becomes the essential conflict between their two characters from the get-go right. when Bucky kind of shows up and said, look, you gave away the shield, and I don't deserve it, and maybe you feel like you don't either, but look what happened when you, you turned it down. Steve trusted you, he believed in you, and you kind of spit in the face of this guy that we both knew and loved very much. Why'd you give up that shield? Why are you making such a big deal out of something that has nothing to do with you? Steve believed in you. He trusted you. He gave you that shield for a reason. That shield, that is, that is everything he stood for. That is his legacy. He gave you that shield and you threw it away like it was nothing. So maybe he was wrong about you. And if he was wrong about you, then he was wrong about me. Right. And so, I mean, Sam just has a real problem with the weight of it all. But then after the fact, he gets really kind of aggravated. Because yeah. he, he knows what he's done is wrong. And, and, and we have a whole lot of different things with Sam that, I mean... Uh, Sam has a real problem living in the past and not seeing the future directly in front of him. He has the same issue recurring with his sister, uh, with the boat, uh, with the shield. He's not able to yeah. let go of what he sees as has already happened and has to stay that way. He's very he's very conservative in that way. He sticks yeah. in his lane. The sister, and once sister. he gave away that shield, either mm-hmm. to Smithsonian, and then it showed up in, in John Walker's hands, I think that's probably, if I know anything about screenwriting, and I really don't, but <laughs> um, if if uh, that, that whole subplot about Sarah and the boat was, I think, a way of the writers of saying, look, okay, I gave away the shield because I didn't deserve it, but now I'm going to turn and I'm going to focus on what I do believe is my legacy. This is something I do deserve. This is something I am responsible for. My sister, her kids, the fishing boat, my family, if I can't have the shield because I don't deserve the shield, this is something that I do have to sort of like pick up and run with because that is something that I deserve and I'm responsible for. Right, but even that, he he fails in that regard because yeah. he, he sees things in very black and white, and pardon the expression, it's, it's just kind of the way that expression rolls, in very black and white terms. Uh, the the boat is supposed to be a family boat. The His sister's supposed to run the boat. The boat the is supposed to is stay in the family. And and so he, he kind of steps all over her initially, not listening to what she wants, not listening to how she's having to deal with things, uh, trying to get that bank loan, which brought up a whole other problematic issue of the Avengers not getting paid. Yeah. Financials are all over the place. Is there some kind of fun for heroes, or did Stark pay you when he was around? My condolences, by the way. Uh, thank you, but no, it doesn't really work like that. That okay. opened up a can of worms. <laughs> How does Sam make a living? I mean, we find out later that he, he does uh, 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 governmental contracts with the Air Force, and that's how we find him in the uh, situation he is near Tunisia. But at the same time, I mean, Stark couldn't slip a, a, a bit of a... You know, a stipend? A, a stipend. Just some little pocket money, a little walking around cash for your troubles. Right. You know, and that was something that came up that not only came up in the show when he was turned down for a bank loan... Uh, to keep the family business afloat, literally. Um, uh, but it was also something that kind of it hit Twitter where people were like, wait a minute, so Stark is a billionaire. And of course, it, it sort of dovetails with uh, sort of 
actual real world societal frustrations. <laughs> like when was it Kylie Jenner decided to start to go fund me for her stylist brain surgery? People are like, bitch, you're a fucking billionaire. Why don't you pay for her brain surgery? Make all of, all of us pay for it. crowdsourcing. If she's that important to you, you're going to start a you know. So again, it's sort of like, hey, if you're Tony Stark. And you've got all these people. I mean, not that he runs the Avengers, but it is his building, and it's got his big A on the outside of it. So I, I guess a lot of people assumed, both uh, in, a, in a fictional sense and within the MCU as characters, that Stark was kind of bankrolling things and keeping people on the payroll. And we find out that's not necessarily the case when uh, Sam has nothing to put up for collateral when he's looking for a business loan to, to keep his, his family business going. Right, and I guess we see that in the uh, DC universes as well, because... I know Batman bankrolls a lot of like the JLA stuff, but I don't think he pays them a paycheck either. That's problematic no. as well. Hmm. And wouldn't I'd be kind of resentful if I was if I was uh, I don't know, say Spider Man, and I'm living in a crappy apartment in, in Queens, and, and you know, I mean, they touch on that a little bit with the whole Tony and and, and uh, Peter relationship in the, in the movies. But uh, you know, I mean, it just really is one of those things where you can't give me a couple of bucks just to cover my uh, my, my rent. Or put me up in the tower or something. It's like, can you pay for this fucking cab at least? Shit, it cost me $30 to get over here to fight crime. (laughs) I'm on my own reconnaissance for that kind of stuff. Right, but, I mean, uh, yeah, a lot of problematic things like that. Like, he did, he he tried to get the loan. He couldn't keep the business afloat. They wouldn't give him the loan because he had no way to prove income. And, I mean, if you can't prove income as an Avenger who's all over TV, God, that says a whole lot about the inequity there. But uh, the, the whole idea that... He's got this idea in his head of how things are supposed to be. The shield is supposed to be Steve's. The boat is supposed to stay in the family. You know, I'm supposed to be X, you know. And he gets super frustrated when things don't exactly work out that way, despite his best efforts in the way that he thinks they should be. Right. And so and you to, can't blame him. Right, no. And, and so to watch his character develop over the course of these six episodes, I mean, we go from uh, denial in the first episode where he's like, I can't, I'm not good enough. It's not for me. It's too yeah. heavy. And then all of a sudden it's, it's a rejection. And then like, all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute, not this There's dick. another guy carrying that thing around. And then all of a sudden the goal is to maybe not get the shield back for himself, but to get the shield back from, from someone, Walker, from Walker, someone who's not Steve. And, uh, and over the course, like I'm not Steve, but he's really not Steve. Right. And, uh, over the course of these six episodes, we get to see him kind of coming to terms with his place in the world. I mean, Steve saw something in him. Bucky sees something in him. His sister sees something in him. So the world sees something in him that, that he doesn't not necessarily seen. see in himself. And we get to see that develop over these six episodes. And by the end of it, like, okay, so like I said, there's no spoilers here at this point. If you're listening, you're committed. Um, when we see Bucky hand him that suitcase, the Wakandan suitcase, after Falcon's wings get violently ripped off, mm-hmm. uh, we're left with just a man. No suit, just a man. And mm-hmm. Bucky goes and hands him this suit in a box. It's, we find out later it's a suit. It's kind of like the moment in Pulp Fiction when they what's open the, in the suitcase case? and we don't like, get to see it. Or like seven, what's in the box? Oh, what's in the box? We do get to find out what's in the case uh, with uh, with Sam, and that becomes, uh, it, you know, it carries through to the last episode, but we'll get to that in a second. Right, and and and, and by that time, of course, we've seen uh, John Walker completely despoil the shield 
just dishonor the shield completely and take down and tear down everything it's ever uh, represented or stood for. And and we get to the point where Sam's even contemplating just destroying the damn thing. Because look what it's become. Don't know really how you'd get rid of Vibranium. It's kind of defining characteristic as somewhat being indestructible. (laughs) But, you know, Sam's a resourceful guy. Cast it into the fire! That sort of brings us to Bucky a little bit, because Bucky, his entire character arc, not his entire character arc, but the large motivation for his character development in this is this persistent inferiority complex he has. Not just that he's not Steve, because Steve, even though he had much more of a longer history with Bucky, he did give Sam the shield at the end of of Endgame. Uh, And he knew he was going to. Bucky knew it was happening. Him, Him and Steve talked about it initially. So Bucky oh. does have to deal with that a little bit, and Bucky honestly is kind of fine with it because he understands that he really always hasn't walked a very virtuous path. So when we open up on Bucky, we see that he's in some deep therapy, some government-mandated therapy, because the government has pardoned him for all of his winter soldier shit, which was considerable. I mean, that carries oh, yeah. a lot of weight. But as a condition of his legal status, he has to go to government-mandated counseling and that's kind of where we open up with Bucky, is that he's talking to his government-mandated counselor against his will. I mean, it's, it's very much under duress. But he's sort of confessing to her that he's trying to make amends with all, or at least the people that he can remember that he wronged while he was the Winter Soldier. And much like Steve had his little book of pop culture references that he wanted Sam to help him look up in the, uh, the Winter Soldier movie... It sort of parallels that because Bucky has his book here with a bunch of names in it of people who he feels like maybe he owes a debt to. And he's kind of working through that in therapy, but he's also working through it in the real world by hunting down all the people that he considers himself to have wronged as the Winter Soldier in an attempt to kind of make amends on some level with the kind of shit he pulled when he wasn't in control of his own free will. And maybe hunting them down is the wrong way to phrase it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Because that's looking beforehand. Yes, there you go. Yeah. Aggressively confronting. To try to apologize for the shit he pulled when he wasn't in control of himself. So that's kind of where we open up on Bucky, him trying to actively go into therapy and on some level at least make amends for the shit that he now knows that he did that as he's trying to walk the straight and narrow, he's no longer okay with. Right. And and as we proceed with Bucky now, and like we can continue, we can combine the two of these into the same conversation because obviously they're the two leads of the show. But as we move along with Bucky, uh, we are we get to see this torment on him. We get to see clips of his past and snippets of what he's done, and uh, the guilt that he feels and the shame that he feels. And, yeah. I mean, and we talk about Sam having a real problem with self worth. I think Bucky has the same kind of issue, but for completely different reasons. Yeah. Uh, he's living that PTSD life like nobody's business. I mean, when yes. we see him in his apartment, he's sleeping on the floor. Just like a soldier Very who Spartan comes life. home. A soldier yeah. who comes home from the war. Uh, and, and they talked about it in uh, uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Him and Sam were talking about uh, not being able to sleep on a bed because it feels like you're sleeping on a marshmallow. You yeah. know, it's not real. Mm-hmm. And so we get to see this tortured kind of side of Bucky, but he's trying to make amends. And the scene with him sitting in front of the fire with Io at uh, in Wakanda, where she's trying yeah. to activate him, and he's he's fucking scared. You can see it in his face. He's worried. He doesn't want gonna... to be that guy anymore. Right. And when he doesn't activate, 
the palpable wave of joy coming off of him and and relief yeah. is just it's it's real sebastian stan to his credit uh, fantastically brought that to life i mean you could feel his relief when he didn't turn but he definitely it, yeah he, he really does but it comes up that like he kind of wants to be better, but he also doesn't necessarily... He just kind of wants to snap his fingers and make it happen. And when Ao is trying to activate him and he does not activate, it is it is a wave of relief and joy. But we also see that he's kind of fighting his therapist a little bit. He's kind of... He just wants to... He has a very clear idea of what he is willing to do to move past his misdeeds, but it's not enough. Right. And a couple episodes in, there's a scene where Sam looks at him and says, Look, man, tough love, you need to do the work. If you want to get to where you want to get to, you need to do the work. You need to put in the effort. You can't half-ass this. You really actually need to buckle down and get it done. And that's kind of a moment of clarity for Bucky where he kind of realizes, you know what, I, he's, I don't want him to be right, but he's right. And it feels earned because it's not just coming from some rando on the street. He is yeah. a PTSD counselor. He is someone who handles soldiers in distress. Sam has the training to do that. And Bucky so when, knows that. And so when we hear it coming from Sam, it's not something easily dismissed because it's something that we all know needs to happen. And I think deep down it's something that Buck needs, knows needs to happen too. And, and it was so, a tough thing for Sam to say, and you could see it in his face. Tough love, you need to do the work. It was a real mm -hmm. tough moment for both of them, but Sam needed to say it and Bucky needed to hear it. And they have this real uh, uh, lethal weapon buddy cop shit going on <laughs> the really whole do. time. And, and, and I heard Kevin Smith's podcast. He talks about it a lot. He referred to it as the lethal weapon syndrome. And he referred to uh, uh, Baron Zemo as the Leo Getz of, the, of mm -hmm. the group. So, Whatever you need, Leo Getz. Uh, these are storytelling tropes for a reason because they work if you just freshen them up and put some new dialogue and faces on them. Uh, we, we get to see this dynamic between the two of them. It's snarky and it's spiky. And uh, we got a little bit of it in uh, Civil War with the, the whole car seat thing. and Which, then, which uh, got a nice callback in the series, absolutely. which I loved. But, uh, that'll come, I mean, and I think that's kind of, I mean, like I said, I wanted to talk a bit more about Buck in that particular instance because uh, he's tormented by all the things that he can remember that he did, but he couldn't control. Mm -hmm. um, I think they have a real problem now at the end, end of the credits, of course, of the sixth episode. They changed the credits from Falcon and Winter Soldier to Captain America and the Captain Winter America Soldier, Winter, yes. which felt so triumphant and so fantastic to see. I know I cheered, but big giant fat butt here. We got a we got a quick calling Bucky the Winter Soldier. We do. I agree with it's you. He's so, not that guy anymore. It's so he's worked wrong. so hard to move past that. White Panther. It's actually White Wolf. Huh? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm kind of surprised that they didn't give him that at the end of it. Because they, they did, they, they accorded Sam the respect of, of, of you know, he, he's inherited the shield. He, he, you know, again, if you have to have seen it, but you, if you're not, uh, you shouldn't be this deep in the podcast if you haven't. So, essentially, <laughs> yeah, Sam is the new Captain America. And it's not just an honorarium. They didn't just change the, the final title card of the series, the, the sort of, like, end credits thing. They did do that. But it's a very, the, the implication of that, the heaviness of that, mm -hmm. especially because they originally had designated John Walker as the new Captain America. And well, the that didn't did. work out. Yeah. The government did when they gave him the shield. So that didn't work out for various reasons. But to uh, give Sam, as a character, the, the respect and the, the 
uh, honorarium of becoming Captain America, as we see him do by the end of the series, is not just a big deal for the character of Sam, it's a big deal for the MCU at large. Because when that, after that episode aired, Marvel, as a company, changed over a lot of their, their uh, promotional collateral to take down images of Chris Evans as Captain America and put in images of Anthony Mackie as Captain America. So going forward, not just the implication, the absolute confirmation that going forward Sam Wilson is our Captain America and right. I fucking love it I absolutely oh, yeah. love what that means for the MCU I love what it means for his character he looks great and it, that, it con- really... that, that costume is so comics accurate it's fantastic yes. it it's really fantastic. is they outdid themselves but it also comes along with it as we'll get into and we dig into some other characters in the series like Isaiah Bradley um, there's a whole bunch of baggage and heavy weight that comes along with that transition mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with the shield. Right. And just to kind of to frame out a little bit more of our Bucky conversation, I want to I want to end it with yeah. uh, one of the things I truly love about Bucky. He's, he's a fucking nerd. He he's is an absolute nerd. I love it. He did that. They had that whole thing where he talked about Gandalf. So who are you fighting now, Gandalf? How do you know about Gandalf? I read The Hobbit. In 1937, when it first came out, <laughs> and and, uh, and that, this whole thing about not being able to be into online dating, and we was talking to the girl at the bar because he couldn't get the hang of Tinder. I mean, you know, people forget they made a big. Uh, Steve got a whole movie about being unfrozen from the ice and having to acclimate to the 20th century. People forget that Bucky had to do the same thing, but because he was kind of a bad guy for a little while, he didn't get the same benefit of being eased into it. He got slammed into it hard and just had to fucking deal. Right, especially as gives, like the need for counseling because back in uh, uh, World War II era, there, it wasn't as huge a, a thing. And and I, forgive me if yeah. I'm speaking out of place, but it seems to me that the culture back then was not really accepting of men needing help, men needing to ask no. for help. And that's kind of a, a a stereotype of like folks that came back from, especially men that came back from World War II, the greatest generation, they had to go from this absolutely brutal, bloody, horrific war, and then just kind of come back and pick up the mantles of their lives and their jobs and their families, and they didn't get the help they needed. George Carlin, the comedian, who I adore to this day, had this fantastic bit about uh, the evolution of language, and he said... You know, back in World War II, these guys came back from the war and it was called shell shock. And it was a very difficult thing to have to deal with. And then when uh, the Korean War rolled around, it was called battle fatigue. They called it something a little different. They added a couple syllables, kind of softened the language up a little bit. And then by the time Vietnam rolled around, it was called operational exhaustion, which was, again, soft language. Exhaustion, no, these guys witnessed horrible atrocities, you know, war crimes, terrible, terrible things. And then, of course, now we have post-traumatic stress disorder. We've doubled the amount of words, doubled the amount of syllables, and softened the language to the point that it doesn't even sound like it's something that happens to a person. And he said, maybe if we still called it shell shock, some of these guys would have fucking gotten the help they needed. So, yeah, World War II vets came back and just had to kind of suck it up and go back to their lives. My right. grandfather did. You know, he just, and he had a family, and they didn't, they, the, the, the classic joke is, hey, how many World War II vests does it take to screw in a light bulb? We just don't talk about it. <laughs> Very, uh, versus, like, how many Vietnam vests does it take to screw in a light bulb? I don't know. Yeah, that's right. You don't know, because you weren't there. I mean, it's a totally different <laughs> mindset. So, yeah, Bucky didn't I get the I feel horrible for the laughing at that. Well, it's, it's, it's not, 
it's not at the expense of these veterans. It is more of the, at the expense of the society that tried to welcome them home in a way that wasn't necessarily conducive to their recovery from having witnessed and in some cases even committed atrocities in the name of trying to preserve freedom. Right. So Bucky very much is in the mold of that World War II soldier who just kind of was expected to come home and suck it up, but now he's dealing with having to be in court-mandated, government-mandated therapy as part of his pardon, and he's resistant to it. So when Sam really tough loves him and breaks him down and says, you got to do the work, that was the breaking point for him where he realized, you know what, you're right, I'm not going to get anywhere unless I actually you know, dig my heels in and commit to this. And the, uh, the writer of the series, Falcon and Winter Soldier, uh, Malcolm Spellman, talks about we, we get Bucky's first truly heroic moment. Now, that's not to say yes. Bucky in past incarnations like uh, in uh, Civil uh, War, Civil War, mm-hmm, a little bit. Uh, yeah. in, in, in Infinity War and, of course, uh, Endgame. That's not to He's say... He's always been a real anti-hero. Right. But in this, in that final battle... When he rips the lock off of that armored vehicle and saves those senators and those that's his redemption people, arc. they look at him and they're like, "Hey, thank you so much. You saved us. We love you. Thank you." And he gets that fuck that 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 acknowledgement, that praise that he's not gotten. Hey, being before. good actually feels good, right? And I think that kind of sets him on his path too. That's probably done more to heal him in uh, his therapy than anything else at that point because he now knows what he can be he doesn't have to be what he was he can be something else i can be who i choose to be and i choose to actually be beneficial to society for a change exactly you know i think that was him working through his therapy was him more trying to atone for the bad shit he did but that moment like you said where he's ripping that that lock off of the, the armored vehicle that is his moment where that's that's the do the work moment that's the hey you know what I don't just have to do this theoretically. I don't just have to tackle this shit in therapy. I can get out there and legitimately make a difference. And I think that was the moment that character-wise really drove home for him. Hey, I think Sam was right. And this is part of doing the work. Actually trying to counterbalance all the shit I pulled by maybe doing something that's altruistic once in a while. Right. So there we go. We have our new Captain America, Sam Wilson. We have Bucky. I'm not going to call him the Winter Soldier. That's not who he is. No. I'm not going to call him the White Wolf either. That seems ridiculous. Sergeant Barnes. You know, they brought in a, a good point in an article I read that they can they can adapt one of Steve Rogers' old code names and give it to him, and it would fit just about perfect. Because when Steve tossed down the shield at one point and refused to work for the government anymore, which is yeah. kind of how we got U.S. agent in the first place, spoiler alert, uh, we end up with Cap going cross-country in a new costume with a shield and a cape. He had a cape, which was really weird. <laughs> no capes. Uh, no capes. He was Nomad. And yeah. I think a name like Nomad fits Bucky just about to a T. Yeah, it really does. I would love to see them change it from the Winter Soldier to Captain America and Nomad. I'd watch the show. But in out the meantime, we also have to get into what John Walker did as Captain America. And oh, maybe it's after we get back from the break, we can uh, we can punch that up a little bit because it definitely deserves a closer look. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's a good segue. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to discuss our next two characters. We're going to talk about the U.S. agent himself, our failed Captain America, John Walker, wow, wow. and Baron Helmut Zemo. Stick around.
All right, welcome back. So, as promised, now we talk about the the heel turns of the show. I'm not going to say villains outright because eh, it's either side of the coin at this point. But we have Marvel's always been very good at like creating characters that you know, like we said, like with Bucky, who is a kind of anti-hero character. We've got some characters that maybe are a little bit gray morality sometimes but that's what makes them interesting because they're not just mustache twirling villains or boring white-hatted heroes that always toe there's one so way or another there's so many layers like an onion onions have layers ogres have layers onions have layers you get it we both have layers <sighs> yeah yeah all right so in the comic books john walker was brought in in captain america number 323 november 1986 as the character called Super Patriot. Uh, he was kind of designed to be like an anti-Captain America. Um, but when uh, Steve put down the shield, uh, he was introduced in Captain America 333 as the replacement Captain America. And that lasted for a couple of years um, until he was retired as Captain America. And I'm not really well versed on how that happened, but he became U.S. agent at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a human. He was powered by the mysterious being known as the Power Broker in the comics. And he's had a lot of different team affiliations, mostly on the side of the Angels. Uh, Avengers and Invaders and Force Works and Defenders. And He was a West Coast Avenger for a while. Um, but he, he has served his time as a hero and an anti-hero. And, uh, but... In our experience here now in the MCU, he's played very admirably by uh, Wyatt Russell, Kurt Russell's little kid. And holy shit, does he all look grown like, up? He's all grown up. He looks so much like his dad. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, you kind of wonder if uh, Kurt's turn as uh, as Ego of the Living Planet in the Guardians of the Galaxy, maybe he, he whispered behind his hand and recommended Wyatt. Although I did read that Wyatt, this is really funny, it's a nice little piece of trivia, Wyatt did originally uh, audition for the role of Captain America before they <laughs> cast Chris Evans, famously as John Krasinski also did. And John Krasinski got as far as like a costume fitting. But Wyatt Russell did audition for Captain America, but he got passed over. But they, they must have kept him in mind because uh, he showed up here that? and... yeah. yeah. He showed up here and, and did a very admirable turn. Now, I, you and I both, I think we talked about this on Facebook, we got kind of irritated at people who were like, I don't like the new Captain America. Well, you not know what? Not my cap. Just, Hashtag not my cap. You got to kind of trust the process a little bit, first of all, because it's it's been very, you know, Thor the Dark World notwithstanding. The MCU makes very, very few missteps because, as we said, Feige and company actually have the entire Bible locked away in their skulls. And because they know what, they're, they're thinking six, seventeen moves ahead, um, you know, they, they don't really fuck up all that much. Right. So they cast Wyatt as Captain America and put him in as a replacement cap. And newsflash, you know, you weren't supposed to like him. He was not Steve, and he was markedly not Steve. And that kind of was who he needed to be slash not be within the narrative of the show because of what was coming in a couple of episodes. Right. And I think that, and, and one of the things that Dr. Erskine said in uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, when he was talking Stanley to Tucci. Steve. Love Stanley Tucci. I do. I love him so much. Doesn't he have a cooking show now? Yeah, he's on. Uh, he's doing a, a food tour show on CNN, and it's brilliant. That's fucking amazing. But uh, one of the things that, uh, that uh, Dr. Erskine said to Steve, when Steve was doubting himself, he's like, why me? And he's, and he's like, because this serum amplifies the user. This is why you were chosen. Because the strong men 
who has known power all his life may lose respect for that power. But a weak man knows the value of strength and knows compassion. Whatever happens tomorrow, you must promise me one thing. That you will stay who you are. Not a perfect soldier, but a good man. So what he's, good man. So what he's saying is Steve is humble and self-effacing and and loyal and, and giving and caring and thrifty reverent brave and all that boy scout shit right and so giving the super soldier serum to him uh should it be successful which we all know of course it was uh would do nothing but elevate those amazing qualities that steve already possessed now if yes. we look at someone like john walker now they made a real point Oof. of showing that john walker was a, a three times decorated uh, uh army ranger he did the work. Medal of Honor winner. Medal of Honor. He's a a, a hero, a military yeah. hero. And, by and any standard, by any yardstick, that guy decorated himself and comported himself uh, very, very well on the battlefield as an American soldier, best of the best. Right, but as we talked about with Sam and as we talked about with uh, Bucky, you can't go to war mm. and come back unchanged. It changes you. No, it uh, does. And, of course, I don't know this... Uh, 100% personally. I've never been in the military. I've never served. I respect, Nor have I, bears pointing out. I respect all of those who do. It's something that I know for a fact I could not. Um, yes. But I know from conversations with a lot of people who have served that it takes a toll. Mentally, physically, emotionally. Yeah. It takes a toll on you. And so, yes, he's this thrice decorated, Medal of Honor winning, you know, badass hero. But that PTSD and that that constant seeing all your mistakes and everything you could have done and, and this, that, and the other thing would weigh heavily on you. And so that feeling of guilt, that feeling of not being good enough, that feeling of anything it takes to get to the point would be amplified with John Walker. And it really I think, is kind of one of those things where people talk about, you know, a smart man will never tell you how smart he is. A rich man will never tell you how rich he is. I am Captain America. A lot of that came to the forefront when Trump was president. But, you know, it's like anything else. It's it's uh, imposter syndrome versus Dunning-Kruger, where anybody who honestly thinks, yeah, I got this knocked, they probably don't. Whereas anybody that doubts themselves, that's the first step towards really being who you need to become. Um, right. So what we see in Sam is that doubt. We see in Bucky that that inferiority complex. But what we see in Walker is this absolute I deserve this hubris. Mm. And that absolutely comes back to bite him in the ass in grand fashion, um, which, you know, we see by the end of the series. Because what we see emulated in, or amplified by the super soldiers here at that point is nothing but pure raging insecurity. Mm-hmm. And he's because he's not he, he feels like he deserves it and he feels like everyone's wanting to take it from him. He feels like he's yeah. not good enough because he gets his ass kicked by the Dormelage. And these people, they don't even have powers, you know, and he just he loses his shit. He feels like he's not good enough. And this need to push himself to drive harder and harder. And then couple that with the grief, the pure shock and grief of losing his best friend, uh, uh, Lamar Hoskins, uh, Battlestar. Battlestar. 
pushes him over the edge, which is where we see that very visceral and gruesome image of him decapitating one of the super soldiers with Captain America's shield, which is yeah. one of the And the most, whole world saw it thanks to smartphones and the internet. Right, which is one of the most visceral images that Marvel's done. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so red, white, and blue with blood splatter. It's just so fucking loaded. It was that tableau at the end of that episode where they did a nice slow circle pan around Captain America with blood on his shield because he fucking lost his shit and went ham on some guy and knocked his dome off. Right, and he, and he seems genuine enough at first, but uh, that kind of, like I said, that kind of service his country will always carry all that weight of the loss and the PTSD and I mean, he's got that drive, but he's just too edgy at that point. Too and jaded. his whole thing is like, what? I'm just killing for my country like they trained me to do and gave me medals for. What's the big fucking deal? Right. And as opposed to Steve, who is green and idealistic and earnest and, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, all those things Erskine talked about. And he's just, he's envious of this true power that he sees all around him. Between Bucky and the super soldier serum and these, these super soldiers that are working for the Flag Smashers. He's just truly envious and jealous of this. He feels insignificant uh, without the power to go toe-to-toe with these people. Like, in the military, he was always able to go toe-to-toe with his villains because he knew that they were just men like him. Whatever, playing field. Whatever was put in front of him, he'll dive on that grenade. He'll do what he needs to do. But but now he's in over his head. Even the Dormelage kicked his ass. And Sam, on the other hand, is this normal guy who's heroic and unsure of himself but committed and like i said when when i mean he doesn't get the super soldier serum so we don't get to see that amplified but that's the point sam didn't need the super soldier serum to say i'm going to be captain america i'm going to be this ideal even if the country doesn't support it this is what i have to do I don't goes care. back to that yeah. whole scene with with uh, with uh, Steve and Tony Stark on the helicarrier in the event, <laughs> first Avengers movie. You're a laboratory experiment, Rogers. Everything special about you came out of a bottle. Get the suit on, you know. Him saying that uh, Tony deliberately misunderstanding Steve's entire persona just to push his buttons, not realizing, hey, you know. The reason why you were chosen to get the serum in the first place is because you're a Boy Scout. It's because you're pure of heart, because you would do anything to defend the, your country and the people you care about. Insulting him by saying you're nothing but a, a, a needle full of, full of super soldier juice. Right. And so, I mean, that's where we kind of get the difference between John Walker. And I think what's great is, like, like we both talked about, uh, we got these people who are like, oh my God, this isn't my Captain America. I don't support this. This guy sucks. John uh, <laughs> Wyatt, Wyatt Russell was getting fucking death threats and, and nasty emails. They're and, making fun of him on Twitter because that initial scene was shot from underneath his chin and it looked like he had a square head and he looked like the guy from Up with a, a super soldier <laughs> helmet on. He really did. The big ears sticking out and everything. but And of course there's another meme going around. He never looked like the same guy twice. And that actually plays into this because as yeah. the series goes on, you get to see more and more of the weight of the shield being too much for him. The weight of the responsibility being too much for him, and he starts to crack. even showing even showing him out there trying to fight fight uh, for what he believes in with like a three day growth of beard stubble poking out of his chin strap because in stark contrast to Steve who was always clean cut clean shaven all American soldier boy until he went for that man beard yeah well you know whew, Chris Evans he's a fine fine gentleman I ain't but. into dudes but I wouldn't kick Chris Evans out of bed for eating crackers <laughs> but uh, and then of course. 
uh, we get to see this mask slip over the course of the six yeah. episodes. We get to see Walker slowly lose uh, his tenuous grasp on what he thought was his responsibility, what he thought he was his mm-hmm. right. And by the time that he's stripped of rank and dishonorably discharged, he is so far gone that he goes back to his his fucking home and he creates his own shield, like basically out of a trash can lid and, and some spray paint. And, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's actually really cool is, is you get to see that in the last episode. It's like one of the super soldiers punches it and just immediately just crumples the damn thing. Like tinfoil. And you get to see it hit the ground just like clang. And this is immediately after we see Sam actually trying to work out with the shield, bouncing it off some trees outside of, uh, whose house was that? Outside of Sarah's house in in Louisiana. Trying to kind of get his his cap on a little bit. And, you know, then by stark contrast, we got this patchwork welded together tinfoil piece of shit that, that Walker's carrying around that just, you know, crumples the first time somebody nails it. Right, and so by the end of the uh, now, the thing that uh, I agree, Kevin Smith kind of had a talk about this on his podcast, uh, uh, Fat Man Beyond. Him and Mark Bernardin talked about the fact that uh, by the end of the sixth episode, they kind of give him a little bit of redemption, a little, a little bit, bit of quasi heroic <clears throat> nature to he's him. He's back, again. like you said, on the side of the angels. He's kind of elbow to elbow with Bucky, trying to make sure the senators are safe and trying to make sure the the flag smashers are, are rounded up by the. Uh, the FBI, whoever it is that shows up with the vest and the super-powered weapons at the end of the episode. Right, and then Val, the Contessa, whatever the hell her full name is. Actually, it's Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. I know it's hard, but I don't like to repeat myself, so you can just call me Val. Madam Hydra. Right, basically. And then she comes in and and just strokes that ego and says, you know, the shield's not necessarily his, and we got some Mm -hmm. for you. And by the end of the episode, of course, we get to see him in his uh, U.S. agent garb which means we know he'll be back. And I have ideas for what they're doing with that, and we can kind of get into that air a little bit here in a second. But uh, first I want to get into the next villain I want to talk about, Baron Helmut Zemo. Love this uh, guy. Absolutely oh, love Daniel Brühl as an actor. He's Love fantastic. Baron Zemo as a character. He's Didn't fan- love him so much when he was, uh, you know, kind of showing up as, uh, as a villain previous to this, but, you know, they added some real dimensions to his character and once again did what Marvel does so well and that's to create characters that are perhaps a little morally ambiguous to give them some room to wiggle so that you can sympathize with them one second and maybe question their motives the next. And unlike all the other characters, we're going to talk a little bit about his motivations in the comic books that I feel they're kind of building to first. Because yeah. I think what they're doing is, now, spoiler alert again, I'm going to keep saying that. I don't know why. We've already covered that. But by the end of the series, he's handed over to the Dormelage. The Dormelage hands him off to uh, the Raft, superhuman prison. Now, here's the idea that I had for that. Because in the comic books, one of my absolute favorite comic books for a very long time, and I'm going to too long didn't read this shit for you because it, I could talk for an hour <laughs> about this alone. Uh, there, wasn't a, uh, there was a time when the Avengers and the Fantastic Four disappeared in the comics. Uh, they got zapped away to an alternate dimension by to- by Onslaught and Franklin Richards, of all people. But uh, they ended up in their own reality, so the Marvel main continuity did not have the Avengers, did not have uh, the Fantastic Four. So during this time, a new superhero team stepped up to fill the void. And they were these scrappy underdogs who based themselves out of an abandoned pizza parlor and... They had this real kind of street-level defenders kind of feel to them. And by the end of the issue, you realize they're not heroes. They're villains. It's the masters of evil in disguise. 
and the Masters of Evil at that time were led by Baron Helmut Zemo. The team mm-hmm. in question was called the Thunderbolts, and the idea behind the Thunderbolts was they had initially formed this team of it was uh, Baron Zemo, Screaming Mimi, Goliath, um, Beetle, uh, Fixer. Uh, I forget who Moonstone's real name was, but whatever. But this team of villains who were masquerading as heroes to get access to the Avengers files and computers and gain the trust and, and comfort of the, of the security council and everything like that. And so uh, they were undercover for a long time. Now, the really cool thing about that is Thunderbolts went for a very long time because the idea of uh, villains reforming kind of has been a recurring trope in comics over the years. We see yeah. it a lot with DC and their su- or Suicide Squad, Task Force X. Um, which James Gunn has a new movie coming out soon. I'm very much looking forward to it. Woohoo! But uh, this team of expendable heroes, but initially it was the Masters of Evil, and the idea behind it was Baron Zemo was leading this team to get trust and and secret files and, and be even more evil, but a lot of his team turned on him because... They got to like and not getting the shit kicked out of him by superheroes every week. <laughs> they got to like much the same reason like Bucky. If doing good feels good. Hey, you know I've been. Feels good. Yeah. I know. I know. I'm, I'm literally one of the masters of evil. But at the same time, you know, I rescued a kid from a burning building, and virtue is kind of its own reward sometimes. This kid gave me a hug. He didn't call the cops. What the? Well, this is nobody's nice. afraid of me, and it feels kind of good for a change. Right. And so uh, now I'm not going to say Zemo ever went through a. Uh, a hero turn like that i really think at least was, not on the page he wasn't one i mean and even even ones. in this series he kind of was still on his own team at all times but you know some of what he did despite himself wound up being beneficial even if he had personal ulterior motives for all of it um because uh again spoiler alert but when bucky and sam well no it wasn't even bucky and sam it was bucky broke him out of incarceration much against you know he hypothetically floated, uh, hypothetically hypothetically Hypothetically, Sam, maybe maybe there's a guy that we know that might know a thing or two about super soldiers that perhaps we might be able to use some help from. And then Zemo comes walking in the room. And, of course, Sam kind of broke his back trying to put Zemo away in the first place. So, <laughs> hey, wait a minute. What are you doing here? Um, but uh, Zemo, even though he was really on his own team for most of this and had his own agenda and had his own ulterior motives... Uh, he, in order to get out and get some fresh air for a change, agreed to a certain level of cooperation uh, because of that whole my enemy of my enemy is my friend thing. Uh, maybe we're on opposite sides of the law and, and opposite sides of the moral code most of the time, but we both, all three of us actually, have a real mad on for super soldiers who are going to be a real big fucking problem if we don't actually team up despite ourselves, even though you two barely get along and you neither one of you really gets along with me. We all, at least in this instance, have kind of a common goal, and if we combine our forces we might be a little more effective than we might be otherwise and i gotta say i had this real moment of geek glee when he put on the fucking fuzzy collared jacket and 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 told them about his being a baron it's like ah they finally fixed it because they didn't mention that he was a baron in uh in in winter soldier they just kind of just called him zemo yeah or not winter soldier winter soldier yeah winter soldier no yeah no civil war no that's the thing when you got 21 movies or 22 movies in a row that all kind of blend together into one story. It's kind of hard to... Like, okay, we, we can't really fault ourselves from not remembering which characters or which plot lines should open which movies because there's a very famous interview out there uh, with John Favreau and Gwyneth Paltrow where she didn't even realize she was in Endgame. 
she and thought she, all her scenes were going to show up in Infinity War because you know again you get you get a, a side instead of a full script you just get the lines you need to shoot you shoot on green screen and they do a lot of overlap for, for, depending on which character and which actor or which actress is available for whichever movie so Marvel they have the blueprint and they just kind of use the people they need to as they have them available and and as things are kind of coming together so we can't you can't fault us for not knowing what what happened in which movie Gwyneth Paltrow doesn't even know yeah well either way so they had uh, uh... They had him in the costume. They had the fuzzy collar. They had the. They didn't use the mask as much as I had hoped. In the in the comics continuity, he has to wear this mask because his face got all fucked up, and so he's covering it. And uh, he didn't use it the same way in the comics. But the fact that he even put it on at one point at all just filled me with such a moment of glee. And and, yeah. and and then of course to have that other side of the thing with the Dormelage hunting him down was fantastic because then we get to see this other side of Bucky too because Bucky on the one hand wants help stopping these terrorists but at the same time he has to pay homage to what happened to Wakanda and Wakanda's claim on him as well. Wakanda has a very very legitimate beef against Baron Zemo. Well I mean he killed King T'Chaka. A little so, bit, yeah. So there you go. Well, it made Bucky kill King T'Chaka. Whatever. It's neither here nor there. But, but the idea is that uh, we get to see this, and, and not like I said, not necessarily heroic turn on him. So, to, certainly self-serving, but we get to see this side of him that that kind of fills us with that little bit of nerd glee, you know, like his little dance in the bar and 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 forcing Sam to drink the. The Cobra, whatever the fuck it was. Uh, was it a spleen or a heart or whatever in his dream? Reminds me of that group therapy scene in Wreck-It Ralph where, uh, you know, Zangief. Maybe you're a bad guy, but you don't have to be bad guy. I mean, he's a villain, but we get to see a little bit more of a human side of him. With, yeah, with the boogie, with the nightclub scene. With, with uh, um, him kind of putting aside his, his personal gripes and helping a couple of guys who he, again, has very good reason to not be able to tolerate. But he, the only thing he hates worse than, than regular heroes is, is super soldiers. So, yeah, okay, we're going to put aside our differences for a minute. We're going to work together on this. Yeah, and so the enemy, my enemy, is my friend and all that. Yep. But I, I think it was very, very well played. I think it was very well enacted. Again, as we said, uh, Daniel Brule is just amazing in the role. He adds this kind of... Uh, impish kind of glee to it that i kind of like <laughs> like when he yeah. talked to his butler on the airplane and he's like do the smell test if it doesn't pass the smell test give it to these guys and it's like and, that's uh, like not he's out of line but he's got a point he's right. out of line but he's got a point has already become a meme which I, i'm seeing show up on facebook a lot with the trouble um, man song yeah yeah but he's out uh, of line but he's got a point right and, and, and so it gives us a lot of, of fodder as fans to chew through. It gives us a lot to look forward to because I think for sure they're setting up uh, the idea, if if not a Thunderbolts movie directly, they're definitely setting up some kind of version of that. And, I mean, that's all just conspiracy shit, but... Um, fan speculation, fan theories. That's kind of what we truck in around here, so it's perfectly... Uh, 
logical to to make that leap because as we've seen i mean you, you kind of can't put anything past feige and company in terms of having the larger blueprint in their head and they don't make they don't they, they rarely rarely if ever make mistakes so if they're laying groundwork for something if they're even doing a head fake in the direction of 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 putting down some foundation for something that may pay off and and come to fruition later you kind of got to pay attention to that because they got a track record for that kind of shit panning out right and speaking of that and, and and kind of off the subject entirely but i had this conversation with one of the drivers I was uh, uh, escorting the other day, because my job is to drive train conductors around, and and uh, we were talking because he's a super huge nerd, so we've talked a couple times, and uh, we were talking about uh, the idea that they're doing a multiversal thing with uh, Spider-Man coming up, and of course with Doctor For Strange sure. and Wanda and all that shit, and they're definitely leaning into the multiversal theory, but uh, um, it was noted that. They've had these uh, uh, rumors going around that Tom Holland's not going to be the only Spider-Man in the Spider-Man series now. That they're mm-hmm. going to bring in uh, Andrew Garfield, and they're going to bring in Tobey Maguire. But in addition to that, that they're going to bring in maybe Sandman, and they're going to bring in uh, maybe Green Goblin. And they're for sure bringing in Dr. Octopus because Alfred Molina can't keep a secret to save his fucking life. So he went on Twitter and was like, hey, I just rapped on the new Spider-Man movie. Hoops, tee but uh, <laughs> uh, but so I think such a great actor though. What they're doing is they're setting the places in motion for yeah. a Sinister Six movie, and I think that that would be amazing. Oh shit! Wouldn't that be nice? Because we've got Electro, you got you got Electro, you got Doc Ock, you Sandman, got, Doc Ock, Green Goblin. You, you you got almost your full deck right now. Right, the Vulture, uh, Scorpion. Yeah, I mean you got all of these characters that you could band together in this one horrifically evil shit and you might and... need three spider-man and maybe even miles morales to come in because they haven't announced that yet but but uh you Who know, you know it's coming yeah you know it's coming right so i mean wheels within wheels within wheels they're always setting something up so uh, if they do a thunderbolts uh series with uh zemo god damn it i'm there i would love to see them do this take on all of these because we got a plethora of marvel villains that have been arrested or put in the raft or a plethora, uh, a myriad, thing, a smattering. They're a all there. smattering. So all it would take is one motivated uh, villain to band them all together. And, oh, we got and a speaking of that, team. speaking of one motivated villain, we at the end of this series actually wound up with a villain we didn't expect. Because right. much like how Baron Zemo did himself a heel-face turn, we had another very interesting character do a face-heel turn in a big way, which has huge implications for what's coming. So we'll uh, we'll get to that. Right, we'll get to that after this air break. We're going to take another small break, and then we're going to get to the, the last little bit of, of this conversation that I want to get to. And and uh, I know this is running long. We warned you, damn it. We warned you. But uh, stick around, and we will get to the uh, rest of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. All right, welcome back. So, as promised, the heel turn of the show, the one we didn't bum, see coming. Bum, bum. Well, no, we us, really didn't. Some of us had inklings, but we'll get to that. Sharon Carter returns to the MCU. Shield agent Sharon Carter. 
Former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Sharon Carter. Disgraced. For, one, once in future SHIELD agent. agent. Right. Yeah, once in future S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, which, again, that's that's a, a throw-off line of dialogue. Is again, just opened up an entire huge can of worms with that. But Sharon Carter, was she the, the niece of, of Peggy Carter? Yes. I'm trying to remember Pe- the, the familial Carter's, bond there. Peggy Carter's niece shared a kiss with Cap in his... Uh, hallway when she was spying on him and one of the original shield agents back even before was shield the proto shield which i don't remember what they called it i'm a bad fan <laughs> the strategic something or other but, but whatever it was she was one of the original shield agents along with uh howard stark and and jarvis and and all of that back yeah, if you watched Peggy. the Peggy Carter yeah. series yeah which actually was a much better in my opinion it didn't last very long i think it was only two seasons on abc but it was to my uh you know recollection a much better series marvel series than was agents of shield after a while i agree uh and so sharon carter was this and and in the comics sharon carter was a long 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 time love interest of steve and Mm -hmm. uh which of course in this context in the mcu they obviously changed because i mean let's face it with steve's pining over peggy that would be super problematic Uh, especially with what happened at the end of endgame which we all know by now he decided to time trip back in his magic suit and actually go and have that dance and essentially that life with Peggy that he was promised before he crashed uh, Red Skull's bomber into the Arctic ice. Right. And so uh, to, to say they changed the character because of that is, is necessary. I agree. Uh, so yeah. they kind of left it as uh, she was his friend and an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so they did happened- canoodle a minute for once. And that was the, the, the famous uh, could you move your seat up a little bit scene when uh, Bucky and Sam were hanging out in the Volkswagen. <laughs> no. Um, but she really she got screwed. And they talk about Big it time. on this show. Uh, Sam got a pardon. Ant-Man got a pardon. Fucking Hawkeye got house arrest and shit. But Sharon was chewy without a medal at the end of Star Wars. Right. She got fucked. She had Big to time. go on the run and hide because she was public enemy number one. Because she helped Steve and she helped Falcon get their gear back uh, during Civil War. And for that, So she when was... we meet Sharon in this show, she's chilling her heels in Madripoor. Which is implied to be kind of a southeastern Asian country no. where... It's kind of like there's no extradition treaty with America, and it's kind of like a banking center where you could launder cash. It's sort of like the um, the the uh, the Star Wars bar of ne'er do wells hanging out in terms of countries Mos in the MCU. Cantina, and she's there, yeah. yeah, she's there as an art dealer, uh, ostensibly an art dealer, like that's her front as an art dealer. But she's kind of hanging out in Madripoor and has kind of uh, had to. <clears throat> do what she has to in order to survive because she can't show her face in most countries in the world. Right, and she comes right out and tells Sam that, you know, she was betrayed. Sam got a pardon. Bucky got a pardon. You guys are able to go forth and, and, and fix things, but here I am stuck being prisoner or a, a public enemy number one because I was labeled a traitor to the U.S. government, and the government yep. forgot about me. Steve forgot about me. And so she had all this time to get this kind of... Uh, uh, not vendetta, really, but just this kind of anger and this resentment, yeah, and anger. Well, because Sharon disappeared for a while. I mean, she factored pretty heavily into Civil War, and then the character, after things, uh, the, the dust up at the end of Civil War, we we did get to see most of our sort of like marquee above the title heroes, like your Tony Starks and your Thors and 
all these other characters move forward, but Sharon kind of disappeared, and the MCU as an entity kind of got a little bit of shit for that. Like, where's Emily Van Camp? Where's Sharon? Why isn't she showing up as a character in any of these films? So I'm not sure if that was the plan all along to have her kind of be laying low in Madripoor, doing what she needed to to scrape by, or whether that was a a writer response to the fans going, hey, wait a minute, where the fuck is Sharon? And then suddenly we had to kind of come up with a little bit of a story about where she's been for the last five or six movies in the MCU. Now, now, I don't think they necessarily talked about whether or not she got dusted during the blip. Did she? Do you know? No, we never. We didn't hear anything about Sharon at all after Civil War. Okay. So Sharon's had this time to sit on Madripoor and become this international um, art dealer and, and underworld uh, <clears throat> liaison or whatever you want to call her. And uh, she jumps to the rescue when, uh, when Buck and Sam are and Zemo are uh, yeah. looking for... Uh, the power broker. They're searching for the power broker because he's the one with the clues to where the super soldier serum come from. He's the one who has possibly the access to finding uh, Carly Morgenthau and the rest of the uh, Flag Smasher super soldiers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she's real quick to jump in and help them. But, again, I, I want to resort back to eagle-eyed fan Kevin Smith. Uh, who I love dearly. Kevin, if you're listening for whatever fucking reason, I love you to death. But uh, uh, he pointed out, and, and something that I didn't even catch, is that she's using an Android smartphone. Now, for anyone who knows anything about Hollywood, Apple has licensed their products to be used in movies because, of course, they have. Why wouldn't they want their products to be featured and displayed and product placed like everything else? But they refuse to allow their products to be used by criminals or enemies or villains. Now, I did actually pick it up that she was using an Android smartphone. I didn't know the implication of that. That when, when you told me that in preparation for this episode, that Apple does not like their products to be used by the bad guys, that was kind of news to me. I hadn't heard that. But I did pick up that she's using an Android smartphone because the smartphone she uses, the particular smartphone that she uses in, in, in that episode, is an HTC One M7. I had that phone. It's one of the best phones I've ever owned. Uh, it had an all-aluminum body with two speakers on either end of it so that you could watch stuff in big screen with stereo sound. And it had a, uh, a unibody construction that was super sturdy. And for 2013, when I bought that phone, it was almost a $1,000 phone, and it was worth every fucking penny at the time. That was a really, really good phone. Um, one of the best screens I've ever had on any phone ever. And it was just a really, really good solid handset. And I recognized it from the back. It's a very distinctive-looking camera array on the back of it. And when she held it to her face, I noticed the, the dual speaker grills on it. So that's about an 8-year-old phone. But it is an Android phone, and it's actually, uh, it was quite state-of-the-art at the time. Nerd! But Yep, uh, I had that phone. It's funny that they mentioned that, because it's, this is set in potentially the year 2025. So yeah. she's using like a decade-old smartphone at that point. Um, but whatever, I mean, it's just a prop, whatever. But uh, the fact of the matter is, is Sharon le- leaps into action alongside Buck, Sam, and Zemo, to try and track down the power broker, but by the end of episode six, surprise to fucking prize, we find out she's the power broker. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer and hide in plain sight. Right. So she has turned her resentment of her treatment at the hands of the U.S. government, and Steve Rogers in particular, uh, into this career as a criminal. Whereas if she can't be done right by the superhero community she's going to make her own superhero community 
uh, with cocaine and hookers. And, <laughs> but, uh, exactly. So she gets to, to, to have this money and power and wealth and fame, and or not fame, infamy, really. And yeah. so she gets to create this name for herself that, that uh, she wouldn't have needed to had the government done right by her, but... Um, by any means necessary, you got to survive. Chilling your, cool, chilling your heels in Madripoor. Right, and at the end of the episodes, uh, she she's reinstated. Agent Sharon Carter, like you said, the once and future agent Sharon Carter. Yep. And the fact of the matter is, is she's kind of resigned herself to the fact that there's no more super soldier serum at that point. Uh, Zemo smashed all of the vials except for one, which of course John Walker injected into himself quicker than you can blink uh, because he was jealous and wanted superpowers. Um, so there is no more super soldier serum. So there's obviously nothing more she can deal with in that regard. But, but she reveals onto her contact on the phone who we don't know who she's talking to, uh, something that's going to go forward sinister wise, but she reveals that she's going to now have access to weaponry and government tech and alien tech and all of the shit that shield has access to. Now she's going to have access to. But the larger sort of implication of that conversation is that the senator who reinstates her says, there's an opening in your old division. Mm -hmm. So clearly they were foreshadowing the fact that, hey, guess what? S.H.I.E.L.D. is a thing again in the MCU, and maybe it's a little bit lower key than it used to be. Um, But it's back, and that is big news also, even though it was a throwaway line by a secondary character. Your old division refers very clearly to S.H.I.E.L.D. Now, in WandaVision, we saw S.W.O.R.D. show up uh, to try to rescue Wanda from this manufactured reality inside what came to be called the Hex. We saw S.W.O.R.D., um, but S.H.I.E.L.D. uh, has kind of been not really a thing in the MCU, maybe for a couple years, ever since, you know, not quite since the Triskelion got skewered by the Helicarrier, but... um, because the series went on for a couple years after that, but S.H.I.E.L.D. has sort of been, like, not really talked about much. It hasn't been referenced since, you know, for a good couple of years now, maybe uh, eight, ten movies in a row. So for them to be sort of like shadow backdoor reintroducing the idea of S.H.I.E.L.D. as a going concern is it was kind of a big story there for a minute. Right, exactly. And so the ha- fact that uh, we're going to have such a highly placed double agent is going to lend itself to a lot of stories going forward, which I think key among them is going to probably be Secret Invasion. Now, a lot of people like the fact that uh, uh, everyone was like pissed, concerned that uh, Mephisto was going to show up in WandaVision and then got super grumpy when it didn't happen. People are that was already, foreshadowed a little. Right. People are already starting to speculate that maybe this is not Sharon Carter. Maybe this is a scroll, because if anyone who knows anything about the shape-shifting scrolls from Secret Invasion comic books... It's the fact that they had duplicated a ton of heroes on Earth and taken their place. And so we haven't seen Sharon in a long-ass time. We don't even know 100% that this is Sharon. But I'm here to but even you, if we hadn't seen like massive scroll involvement in the entire plot of Captain Marvel, uh, Marvel really kind of they wanted to remind us that hey, the scrolls are a thing and they exist. And again, spoiler moratorium is up, and shame on you if you haven't seen it so far. But the final, final, final scene of WandaVision is a scroll agent posing as a sword agent um, talking to Monica Rambeau about the orbital platform. 
that we saw at the end of Captain Marvel. So again, it's just convoluted as shit, but there's wheels within wheels, like you said. And so they wanted to very much remind us that the scrolls are a thing. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you're, it may come to pass that you're correct, but even if you're not, you're not at all off base with that prediction because we know that secret invasion is in the works and we know that the scrolls are definitely a thing. And the scrolls have been at different times portrayed as either villains or heroes. But again, kind of like Zemo, they're sort of on their own team and have their own agenda. They want to ensure the propagation of the survival of their people. And so whatever's going to do that for them, they're not necessarily picking sides on Earth necessarily. They're just kind of doing whatever they think they're going to be able to in order to to make sure they survive. Right. So, I mean, is she, isn't she? We get a lot more of that now. we got a bit of time to wait for that. We will find out if our dear Agent 13 Sharon Carter is indeed a scroll, Or if she's just a badass. And she is a badass. Either way. Yeah. But if she is a scroll, you better believe we're going to come back here in maybe a year or two and uh, pat ourselves on the back for making that prediction. Mm-hmm. If she turns out not to be a scroll, we're just going to forget we ever said anything. And that's what the, the beauty of, of speculation and fan theories is. You can totally take credit for it if you're right, but if you're wrong, hey, I was just musing. So, right. you know, you don't have to actually accept any accountability for that. Accountability. That's cute. Yeah, uh, it really is. All right, so one more thing I want to really discuss. Now, like I said, there's a ton of shit we can discuss with this show. It was Majorly. so packed. With so much stuff, but one of the key elements, and I feel like it didn't get enough screen time, honestly, because it was Even very, either. very, very, uh, very, very relevant, but not as present because it was more kind of a background story and more kind of, um, I don't know what the word I'm trying to figure out is. It's just it's kind of it's kind of driving motivation, I guess. Yeah, backstory. The character of. Isaiah Bradley. In this show, I want to say third episode, second or third episode, uh, Bucky knows of a guy who has had. Or is it Bucky that knew of him? Or is Sam? Bucky knew of him? Okay. Bucky took him. Bucky took Sam to Baltimore to Isaiah Bradley's house because Bucky was around for this back when it originally happened, but Bucky knew of other super soldiers besides he and Steve. Um, and one of them was Isaiah Bradley. Right, and so they go to Isaiah Bradley, and Isaiah Bradley doesn't want to talk to anybody, doesn't want to see the shield, doesn't want to see Sam, uh, doesn't want to have anything to do with not only America, really, but of the Stars and Stripes as it resolves around the Captain America or Super Soldier project. And he, Sam even calls him out on that. He said, don't you give me that bitter old man, uh, I think he might have said bitter old black man thing. Because, uh, you know, he, he kind of gave him a little bit of shit about it. Don't give me that because we've got important issues to discuss here. And Isaiah kind of threw it back in his face and said, you have absolutely no idea what I've been through. Uh, I have every right and every reason to be bitter. And that's when Sam really finds out kind of what happens to Isaiah Bradley. Right. And see, here I'm going to preface this conversation with saying, of course, I don't have the same experiences. I don't... Uh, my experience with it is all peripheral. My experience with it is all what I've read and what I've read article-wise since then and the, and the experience that they portrayed in the show. Um, so I don't know what it's like to be a black man in, in, in the United States at any time period. I'm of course, but that's kind of why we get a window into things with entertainment right. a little bit because we can in that way sort of at least if not experience somebody else's life but, but at least get in, a little bit of a window into, into some, of, uh, some of what they've had to go through. So Isaiah Bradley's character was introduced in 2003 in a limited series run called Truth, Red, White, and Black. 
And in this series, we see a bunch of black soldiers who are acting as test subjects for the World War II super soldiers. Very much mirroring the sort of Tuskegee thing. Right, exactly. And I think that's what it was designed to emulate. Uh, yes. Most of the subjects have died or become deformed, with the exception of one, who is Isaiah Bradley. Isaiah uh, substitutes for Captain America on an assignment, uh, discovering a Jewish concentration camp, detainees subjected to other experiments. You're right. It emulates a lot of what happened with the Tuskegee Airmen uh, to the point that they were experimented on and used as f cannon fodder, basically, and uh, sent home. And whereas uh, Steve and the rest of the white soldiers and, and were treated with a hero's welcome, uh, this is, of course, before we get to Vietnam, which is a completely different mm -hmm. story, but um, they're returning from World War II. Uh, our soldiers were treated mostly warmly and, and, and pleasantly, but if you were a soldier of color, it was a different story. You just and fought for your country and you came back to the same, you know, racism and not, hatred. Not that, not that we, 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 we've never deep-sixed the racism. It's still very much a, a cancer in this country, but at least we acknowledge it now and we acknowledge that it's a problem that needs to be worked on and it will be worked on. But at the time... We're talking like the 40s. This is even pre-civil civil rights movement. Right. This is pre-MLK. This is pre-Medgar Evers. This is pre-Malcolm X. These guys just went over there and spent a couple of tours risking their lives fighting for their country. And they came back and they had slurs hurled at them and they were relegated to ghettos. And it was just everything you could possibly imagine that's bad about being a, uh, you know, a person of color in America before we even acknowledged that that was something that needed to be thought about. Right, and because of Isaiah Bradley, now we're talking, of course, Isaiah Bradley in the MCU at this point, uh, because Isaiah Bradley was experimented on, and because he did secretly become this super soldier, uh, he was a resource to be exploited. Mm -hmm. And so when he came home, he wasn't given a medal, he wasn't even given his freedom, he was locked away. For dozens of years, decades. Because there weren't that many successful super soldiers. Uh, Bucky hadn't come along yet. Steve was thought to be the only one for a while. But they touch on this in the series. They talk quite a bit about the blonde hair, square jaw, blue-eyed, all-American Aryan boy being the model of, a, of, of the super soldier of America. And Isaiah Bradley and ostensibly, ultimately, Sam Wilson not really fitting that mold, right. being a theme, a central theme of kind of the Captain America character. But Isaiah Bradley said, you know, I, when, when, I got, when I came home, yeah, like, you're right. He, he was not somebody who got a hero's welcome. He didn't get put on postage stamps. They didn't send him out to sell U.S. war bonds. They basically locked him away in a lab and tried to reverse engineer super soldier serum out of his blood because he was one of the only... Yeah, he yeah successfully he was that's how they wound up with the super soldier serum. He was one of the only uh, successful super soldiers apart from Captain America, but because he didn't look like Steve Rogers, and America couldn't possibly accept a black super soldier uh, because they'd see him as a threat at the time, and probably still would now because of some backward ass attitudes. He <laughs> was a dirty little secret and was treated as such by the government. Right, and so he's obviously bitter. He's obviously resentful, and he has every goddamn right to be, every right Definitely. to be. And so, so when Bucky and Sam show up and they bring the shield, he doesn't even want to see it. He doesn't want to hear about it because as much as uh, Captain America as Steve Rogers was a symbol of America and the, the sort of, again, square jaw, blue-eyed, blonde-haired soldier, Isaiah Bradley is bitter and angry because he could have been that. So he doesn't want to know anything about it. He wants to forget everything about his former life. He spent many, many years in a lab, many more years in prison. And he just wants to kind of get on with the rest of his life and forget any of that shit ever happened. And now you got Sam and Bucky rocking up asking for his help. You're going to ask me for help? What the... F who do you think you are? Yeah. And again, he's got every right to have that attitude. Right. And and I think that uh, 
they use kind of him in, in, in context. Now, once Sam decides he's going to start moving maybe towards accepting his inevitability of accepting the shield, he goes back to Isaiah for a little uh, sage-like advice, uh, to which we don't get the sage-like advice that Sam expects. He, he basically flat out tells him, there's no way they're ever going to let a black man wield the colors of the United States of America. There's no way they're ever going to let a black man represent this country. Not with the and even if they do, right? Even if they do, you will never be accepted. And why would you want it? Why? What kind of self-hating person are you? Uh, you're not. A self- after everything yeah. this country has put people that look like us through, you'd want to put those colors on and represent it, right? And and, and he kind of just like jumps his throat, and and I think that it really screws with Sam a bit more because Sam's almost to the point where he's accepted the fact that he's got to take this back and do the right thing do what steve expected and wanted him to do what steve knew that he could do but at the same but time then isaiah throws a giant yeah. handful of sand into that sensibility and just says you know why would you they'll never give it to you and even if they do you should never accept it and beyond that you shouldn't fucking want it right and and i mean look at this it's like they're going to give it to you but you're going to take it but there's going to be strings there's always going to be strings you're never going to be their captain america right. and uh, that re- that really echoes a lot of what happened in the comic books, like we talked about earlier. Sam uh, got the shield in the comics, and then they designated an entire task force to try and take the shield physically back from him. So they were hounding his steps every step of the way, trying to recover the shield, trying to uh, eradicate this new Captain America, put it back to status quo, blonde hair, blue eyed poster boy. Mm-hmm. And the and, internal conflict that that created within Sam of, I am working for you. I am ostensibly trying to uphold your values and you're hunting me down, trying to take this away from me. Mm-hmm. It, it just really painted Sam as, as, as this character of, of virtue uh, for different reasons, but kind of really on the same level as Steve and much like echoing the, the, the experience of those, you know, the black soldiers that came back from World War II. Look, I, I know what my deal is. I know what I believe in. I know the ideals that I'm fighting for. And whether or not you're going to try and take this away from me just because I don't look the way you want, I'm still going to keep on fighting for what I believe in, even though you're trying to stop me. Right. And so, which leads us to this speech that Sam has. Now, Sam has made his debut, shield-flinging, high-flying Captain America. And I love that line. Someone's like, oh, that's black Captain America. I say, no. Or that's black Falcons. Like, no, that's Captain America. And just, oh, glee, moments of glee, watching him expertly fling that shield and just handle himself. And so he has this No serum, no serum, just a sense of dedication and a a really strong uh, desire to make a difference. Yeah. And he has this speech at the end, and I'm I'm not going to say the whole thing, but there's some of it that does require uh, saying. He says, I'm a black man carrying the stars and stripes. What don't I understand? Every time I pick this thing up, I know there are millions of people out there who are going to hate me for it. Even now, here, I feel it. The stares, the judgment, and there's nothing I can do to change it. And I'm still here. No super serum, no blonde hair or blue eyes. The only power I have is that I believe we can do better. And then from later in the speech he goes, People believed in her cause so much, he's talking about Carly Morgenthau and the Flag Smashers, uh, people believed in her cause so much that they helped her defy the strongest governments in the world. Why do you think that is? A few people have just as much power as an insane god or misguided teenager. The question <laughs> you have to ask yourself is, how are you going to use it? 
And that speech was so stirring. Jesus, I just... Not just for its implications within the MCU, but also the brilliance of that speech was not just what it meant within context of the fiction, but also he's not really talking to the senators on the screen. He's not talking to the characters of the MCU. He's talking to the audience. Right. And the brilliance of, of, of kind of cloaking that sentiment in, in character development, where really what you're saying is, look, when I pick up the shield, people are going to hate me. And that's sort of cutting off the knees of whatever argument. Cause you know, I mean, you know, there's going to be people, fans of, of Marvel that are going to hate this next phase, like we talked about, because of the diversity, because mm-hmm. of there's going to be a lot more female identifying heroes. There's going to be a lot more heroes of color. There's going to be a lot more people that are picking up costumes and shields and weapons and and codes of conduct in this next phase of the MCU that aren't going to be that classic square jawed, blonde haired, blue eyed Captain America archetype. Right. And some people, even the fans of this series, they're not going to be happy about it. I mean, even somebody like Brie Larson, who did a, I think, fucking admirable job as, as Captain Marvel, there are still people who don't like that character because it was the first female-led Marvel movie. And right. Captain Marvel is arguably one of the most powerful heroes in the Marvel Universe and certainly one of the most powerful in the MCU. But there are still people that want to want to dish dirt on Brie Larson just because she happens to be a very powerful female hero. Well... Buckle up, motherfuckers, because shit's about to get really, really colorful, female, and diverse in the MCU. And if you don't like it, for every ticket you don't buy, I'm going to fucking buy two. I agree. And and, and so it's really uh, heartwarming to see that. And, and of course, by the end of the series, we, we have uh, Sam go back. Uh, and, and, of course, uh, Isaiah and his, uh, his grandson, Eli, uh, have seen this on the news and, and watch the mm-hmm. speech. And I think it went he, viral. He softens to it. He understands now more Sam's point of view. Like, Hey, look, I know they're not going to accept me maybe, but I still got to do it just because they hate me. Doesn't mean they don't need my help. That's all the more reason I need to. And I fought mm-hmm. too hard for this to give it up now. Exactly. And so the wonderful, wonderful postscript with, uh, with, uh, with Isaiah was that uh, they got he got he his whole big thing was that he was cast away and forgotten, locked mm-hmm. away, and and no one ever knew. A shameful secret, right? A cover his up. contribution to anything, and so much like the Tuskegee Airmen were hidden away and, and not talked about for a lot of years. Very much. Um, and so when Sam brings him to the Smithsonian, and we see that statue. And, we, and the plaque and, with and the plaques and the dedications and all that, and 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 this was admirably acted by Carl Lumley, I might add, just amazing. Big time. His, you could see his face quiver. You could see the tears, and it just it. Let him I, try and forget you now. I cried, legitimately tears. I definitely missed it up because that yeah. shit. I mean, it's so. It really is. You have you have moments in entertainment, especially in something as 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 widespread and as dominant in the culture as the MCU is. It's almost like the classic Uncle Ben Spider Man thing: with great power comes great responsibility. If you're that huge of, a, of an entertainment entity, it is kind of your responsibility to be on the right side of history mm-hmm. when you're tackling these kinds of issues. And even though uh, Isaiah kind of winds up being a metaphor for the entire Tuskegee thing. Uh, when when Sam brings... Because Sam has some pull. Sam is the Falcon. He does government contracts. He has the shield at this point, And he's ostensibly 
sanctioned by the government. He is Captain America. So he can go to the Smithsonian and say, hey, look, maybe you don't have the shield like I wanted to give it to you to begin with, but here's how we're going to make up for that. We're going to tell a piece of the story that is not represented in this exhibit, but it's a very important part of the overall story, especially because, you know, I'm going to be the new Captain America and I am a black American man. So we need to, more now than ever, remember the contributions of these people to where we are now, where we've become, where I am, where we're headed. Mm-hmm. And like you said, that mirrors kind of the environment we live in right now, too, where yeah. it's more important than ever for us to accept the fact that this institutionalized racism has existed for so long and that it's a time for it to end. And so we all have to do our part to, to, to see that through and, and kind of stand up. To actively fight it wherever it rears its ugly head. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of a huge step in that direction, and I'm I 100% here for it. Now, the other thing Amen. I want to discuss, and of course, I don't want to sell it short or anything. That I, the whole moment with Isaiah was, like I said, I was in tears. Poetry. Absolute tears. Uh, Malcolm Spellman, you did a fantastic job with that. But uh, And, of course, Kevin Smith talks about they didn't do any flashbacks with that. So they're rife to go back and do like a red, white, and black uh, miniseries. That w- I'd watch the ever-loving piss out of that. That'd be I mean, it might be a little bit depressing because we kind of know what Isaiah's story was a little bit. You know, several years in a lab, many more in prison. Right. But, uh, you know, he still is is a very, he, he, as a character. I mean, there's just so much, there's so much grist for the storytelling mill in that particular storyline. Right. I'd be, I'd hope, I'd hope that they, they would give it some, some traction and do something with it. But the other thing that we get a bit of, uh, of traction with is, and this will be the last thing we discuss on this. Now, they brought in Eli. But we start gaining a little ground with Eli. Now, they bring in Eli. He's a very big character, but he is more important to the overall epic. Like we talked about, uh, Feige and company are about 23 moves ahead on this mm-hmm. chessboard. And they've been steadily setting up characters for the Young Avengers. The Young Avengers, of course, being a book in Marvel uh, that stars a lot of people that we've already seen. Maybe not these exact stars, but definitely heroes we've talked about and people we've seen. Like, and definitely some people that have been rumored to be showing up very, very soon. Like Wiccan and Speed from WandaVision. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Cassie Lang from Ant-Man. Or uh, Kate Bishop in the new Hawkeye series. And maybe even uh, Miss Marvel and uh, uh, Ironheart coming up. Even though they were members of the Champions and not the Young Avengers. Uh, we don't have a Champions team in the Marvel Universe. Not yet. And so maybe they'll incorporate them into the MCU version of the Young Avengers. It would make sense to have an Iron Man in, uh, and to have a uh, uh, Ms. Marvel kind of character in there, you know. Absolutely. If, uh, we don't have an Armored Avenger anymore, so uh, Ironheart would admirably fill that hole. And, of course, uh, Eli Bradley, of course, being Patriot, uh, yes. a super soldier himself. In he genetically inherits uh, uh, his grandfather's legacy of the super soldier serum, and so it would, it's really neat to see them sliding these puzzle pieces into place years and years ahead of time because we don't even have any of that shit announced. We're not to Miss right. Marvel yet. We're not to Ironheart yet. We haven't. But even as we've to seen Hawkeye with the MCU, yeah. right? Like Feige and company, like you said, they do. They start moving these pieces into place. 
uh, for, for the checkmate years in advance. So even though, like you said, there, there's certain characters we haven't seen yet, there's certain characters that are right now only rumored to be possibly showing up, Marvel does not really make mistakes. Again, Thor The Dark World notwithstanding. They don't really make mistakes. Mm. And if they're doing something, if they're putting these pieces into place, they wouldn't be doing it for no reason. And anybody who's paid any attention to the comics at all, anybody who kind of knows what these characters represent, we can see just as easily as when they started out with Iron Man and then brought Thor and then Captain America into the field. We knew we were getting an Avengers movie years before they announced it simply because we had all the characters coming into the, the MCU. So... Yeah, the fact that we have all these characters that are being introduced, that are being hinted at, that are being rumored about, uh, even just the ones we know about, like like Eli Bradley or like Kate Bishop, uh, there wouldn't be any point, I mean, apart from obviously having some cool characters to knock around and do cool shit with, the, the, the biggest reason to be kind of sliding these characters in through sideways introductions would be to eventually push another super team. And of course, that's that's that could be years down the road. But again, like I said, and I, I kind of hope it is. Yeah, and they just they have so much they're building towards, and so much fodder now. Again, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. If I have to say anything about it, it's fucking captivating, in a way. And I mean, and I loved Wandavision. I know I'm gonna love Loki because it looks fucking bazonkers. Baller. But this was just. I mean, it could it could have been nothing but six episodes of pure action, and I would have loved it. It could have been six hours of introspection and 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 story and guilt and and acceptance, and I would have loved these it. characters. Are just so compelling. They blended it so seamlessly together, and it's just it's so compelling and it's so fantastic. And Marvel and Company is doing such a bang up job, and and. Uh, I haven't even once, like, I've thought about canceling my HBO Plus or HBO Max. I've thought about canceling Hulu from time to time. Uh, I have never once thought about canceling Disney Plus. That's Nor just, I. That's a given for me. That and CBS, but, or Paramount Plus now they're called, but that's just because I'm a Trekkie through and through. But uh, Marvel and Disney Plus have kept the hits coming. And coming in June, we have our new entry, which is the Loki series, which. If you haven't seen the trailer for that, I highly recommend you jump off and go see that now. Because Tom Hiddleston's amazing. And Owen Wilson, of all fucking people. <laughs> wow. Just, wow. He's fantastic. He looks amazing. Please sign to verify this is everything you've ever said. This is absurd. Sign this, too. Just shit like that. This just tongue-in-cheek humor. This is this biting satire that they do so very well, uh, and I know they're going to layer other aspects into the show, just like they did with Falcon and Winter Soldier. But I, I'm here for it. They've got me. They've. And we actually, me. I, I think we're going to get to see Loki have another redemption arc because he kind of did over like Thor Ragnarok. I mean, he's still kind of anti-hero. He still serves his own agenda, but much like Zemo. And much like, you know, the uh, the Thunderbolt team, you know, the whole maybe being good is good sometimes. Doing good things feels pretty good sometimes. So Loki kind of almost got to that point where he grudgingly admitted within the larger MCU, yeah, maybe I can still serve my own agenda, but occasionally I don't have to be a meddling asshole. But then, of course, the Loki that features in this series is the time-jumped Loki who grabs the Tesseract and does a little bit of a time warp. So it's it's the character before he started to kind of go down the road of maybe being a, a meddlesome dick isn't always what I need to be. So we're going to kind of get to see him 
go through a redemption arc all over again and sort of once again discover those layers of his character and as we've said several times over the course of this exercise episode i am definitely fucking here for that and i gotta tell you i'm a little excited he was a young avenger too yeah because there was a time frame where loki was de-aged and he became a member of the Young Avengers. So even if they were to go through and do that and they had to recast Loki, uh, I would, oh, that'd be fucking amazing. It would. To see an impish, like, teenage version of Loki. Or maybe they can just use that sort of, like, mag- magic uh, deep fake de-aging technology they used to knock 40 years off of Michael Douglas in <laughs> Ant-Man and just, like, make Tom Hiddleston a teenager. That'd be weird. That'd be super It would, weird. but it would be totally within Disney's budget and their technological capability to pull that shit off. That's fair. Well, uh, definitely I want you guys, if you guys have watched The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, tell us what you thought. Uh, let us know uh, what moments really hit for you. What moments were the most poignant for you? Uh, did you like it? Did you hate it? If you hated it, what the fuck's wrong with you? Um, <laughs> but tell us, let us know your opinion. We want to hear it. Uh, hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash feelyourfandom, or in our Gmail, which is uh, feelyourfandom at gmail.com. Or fyftalentbooking at gmail.com if you have a show idea, want to be on the show, know somebody wants to be on the show, or you just want to send us pie recipes, that's what that's there for. Absolutely. We're talking about pie again, huh? I'm definitely here mm, for pie. I'm hungry. I'm always hungry. Here's the secret cap. I'm always hungry. Hey, yo. Uh, but... Yeah, I mean, definitely weigh in. Give us your thoughts. We definitely want to interact with you and and get your take on this. Obviously, it's no secret that Jim and I both are fangirling out about this to a high degree. Uh, We loved it. Majorly. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. nothing not to love about it, but I want to know what your experience is with it. Uh, And uh, I definitely want to thank you for listening to another episode, a supersized episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. As always, I want you to please do remember that everything is fandom, and fandom is everything. Take care.